Hi, welcome to another episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. The Flying Tortuga Brothers are artists Carl Stoveland and Shannon Torrance. This podcast is a series of interviews with artists who have done residencies and interesting conversations with people who can help along the way. So grab a cup of coffee or your beverage of choice, sit back and enjoy the show. This episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers is brought to you by Camping Florida Keys. Camping Florida Keys is the premier rental equipment outfitter for camping Dry Tortugas National Park and the Florida Keys confidently and comfortably. So reserve, relax, and return your gear today to minimize planning and maximize your vacation. They can be found at CampingFloridaKeys.com and all the usual social media outlets. Hashtag Camping Florida Keys. Hi. And welcome to a very special episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. It is September 22nd, a Tuesday, and we are coming to you from Loggerhead Key in Dry Tortugas National Park. As always, my partner in the Flying Tortuga Brothers is here. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Good. How you doing on the island? It's been, uh, it's been interesting, I'll tell you that. It has been an adventure. We're going to talk at length about that in this episode and in a couple of more. We also have with us Jacob Kelly, who is a scientific intern for the National Park Service here, and he's going to be talking about his project here and what he's doing and life on the island and anything else that comes up. Shannon, you've already interviewed Jacob for the movie do you want to start the ball rolling? Um, sure. Cool. So how long have you been out here? This is, you've had a few rotations, right, Jacob? That's correct. I'm right now in my eighth and perhaps final rotation for this internship. Very cool. What is your favorite part um, so far about being out here now that you've been out here so many times? Um, if I got to be honest, there are a few sections on this island that I find appreciable just to get away from it all after working all day. Probably one of my favorite spots is on the northwestern side of the island where there's a bunch of sea lavender bushes that grow and emit a very aromatherapeutic aroma. Yeah, I love those. You pointed those out to me when I was uh, sort of trekking the island with you on one of your morning turtle rounds. Yep. Very aromatic. They're absolutely beautiful. Yep, and sadly they are an endangered species because of coastal development in the Keys. So there's, there's probably some in Key West, but not, not, not nearly as many as there are here on the island, right? Yes, I saw one in the state park in Key West, but have not really seen many around the Key itself. More or less, there's just a bunch of buildings, roads, and all those damn wild chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the chickens. They're part and parcel with Key West, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. Before we go any further, I just want to give a quick mention that if you hear a crackling sound, it's actually the wind outside of the keeper's house. Uh, the winds have been between 20 and 25 knots today, which is why we're inside recording instead of out creating. playing on the beach and creating. Um, so if you hear that noise, it's not a technical fault. It's just it's life here on the island. So we've gotten lucky. We got some company while we've been out here. Um, Having Jacob on the island has been uh, sort of a blessing because we've had an extra, an extra person to hang out with and chat with, and uh, I've learned a lot from Jacob since I've been here. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, honestly, after, after a month, I don't know about you, but sometimes in the morning, we don't have to say a whole lot because we've been together for 22 days now. Um, so it's nice to have a third person to chat with and a different point of view. Jacob's a, a younger guy just getting out of college and did this in turn as part of his project. Yeah, what are you, like 22? 24. 24. Wow, to be 24 again. No wonder he can do it in the heat. Yeah. All that, all that heat he works in every day. He, he, basically, when you excavate these nests, Jacob, you, you dig about four and a half, five feet into the ground sometimes by hand. Can you talk a little bit about that and how many turtles you, you, you save and rescue and how long you wait until you, you excavate a nest? Certainly, Shannon. Typically, when I'm digging four or five feet into the sand, that's more commonly associated with green seed turtle nests, whereas loggerheads don't dig as deep. Thank goodness, otherwise I'd be spending another 30 minutes digging up the sand all over again. <laughs> anyway, hey, depending on, on the size of the nesting mother herself, she can lay a decent-sized clutch. With most of our sea, green seed turtles, they can lay a bath. Hey, over 100 eggs, and the most I think I've excavated so far from one nest was about 148. I'm pretty sure there'll be an, a one eventually that goes over 150. Yeah, the morning I was with you, I think we, we took out over 50. There, were, there was a one, one that was dead and then a, a bunch that didn't quite make it out of the shell. But we got about 40-something that were alive, didn't we? And one of them, I believe so. And... It's not easy keeping all of them in that little bucket. Yeah, till, till nightfall. Yeah, they're, they're always going to struggle and try to get out when they really have no room, but we got to follow the protocol laid out by the biology technician. Yes, absolutely. So um, when, you're, when you're not doing the, the turtle excavation and you're, you're back home, what are you studying when you're in school? You're done with school pretty much now. You're just doing your internship, right? That is correct. I finished the academic year here during the spring in 2020 semester, and I looked for internship opportunities to fill up my summertime. Granted, with the changing times we're having at this moment, most of them had either lost their funding or they already filled in. So for me to get accepted into this one, quite fortuitous, but at the same time, I'm the amount of work that would be expected out here. It if you, could, if you could get your dream job, what would your dream job be with, with, the, uh, with the education that you've gotten so far? What would you like to do? Well, I do want to go into marine conservation, probably focus at the ecosystem level rather than the individual species level. If I had a choice, I would probably try to work with the National Park Service since I've been working for them now, now for the past four and a half months, and I think I've built a good reputation with their people. Yeah, I can see that. They value you very much. They've got you taking care of the RO system over here. Um, for those who don't know what RO stands for, it's reverse osmosis. Um, also, you keep logs about the electricity that's used um, through the solar-generated power that goes to batteries. And you also police the island. Can you tell us about all of these multiple tasks that you do on top of your, scienti your scientific uh, analysis? Mainly get up in the morning to take care of the turtle patrol, walk around the whole island, mark any of any that are new, and before the excavation work began, I had to I'd go around and mark all the nests. Granted, at the time, there were two interns out here, and I was one of them, 
but the second one has since returned to the University of Miami to begin their fall semester. But, tangent aside, I'd, after the morning patrol, depending on how long it takes for me to do it, again, purely because of either marking more nests or doing more excavation work that morning, I would put my stuff back in the old kitchen house, upload the data to an Excel file that was given to us, and then just have to police the island by keeping an eye on the visitors, see how they arrived at Loggerhead Key and what they're doing. So, so all this data that you're collecting, what happens to that data? Who uses it and, and what for? Um, I'm collecting the data for the biology technician for the Dry Tortugas National Park, and he in turn submits that data to the higher-ups in Florida, where they will then use that to get an idea of how many turtles nested during this nesting season. So they can see declines or, or issues before they actually um, get too far out of hand. Yes. Very cool. And that information that's aggregated with the turtle information from other parts of the state as well, right? That's all becomes part of a bigger pool and they get a real real snapshot of what's going on. That's correct. Okay. So we can have organizations working along West Florida, East Florida, and South, South Florida, including the Dry Tortugas National Park. And they just want to know how many turtles are nesting, how many were being successfully hatched, and how many were lost. Cool. Well, you're staring at the, the end of summer and it's you know late in September. You're looking at possibly tonight being your last night on the island and back to Key West for a couple of days and then possibly home. You looking forward to that? I am. I just wish I had some more time and a workout here, but with my advisor being out of contact for a while, it's hard to get everyone involved so that way we're all in sync regarding the next steps of the plan. You plan on eating an entire pizza when you get back to Key West, you said yesterday. Is that still on the agenda? <laughs> oh, hell yes. After being out here for so long and having to ration out my, my food, it's that I'm not eating more or than what I would need for the next day to live off of. You can bet your ass that I'll be gorging on a pizza and chucking down two beers. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I can't believe, you know, you, you have a vision of what this place is going to be like before you get out here, and as a as a painter, as an artist, to come out here and create. It's very difficult, what with the ants and the heat and then no air conditioning at night uh, and sweating to sleep. You can't really get a restful night of sleep. Um, the weather changes so dramatically. I mean, a storm can come in like it's on fast forward and then be gone before you know it. And then the humidity is through the roof and your paint won't dry. And so it, that's one of the things that's interesting about the island. You think you kind of have an idea of what you're walking into, but you really don't. Indeed, you just have to go with the flow and just adapt to the best of your ability. Yeah, and my our diet, Carl and I's diet has, we, we planned pretty well, but we've eaten chicken prepared the same four ways for a month now. What was the chicken four times a week? And yeah, four times a week. With four different sauces. <laughs> four different ways to make it. Um, always, Almost always accompanied by rice. Uh, pork chops one night, steak one night, and spaghetti one night that could roll into two. So, I mean, we've had a very limited diet, which is very boring. I can't wait to get back to civilization and have a nice meal. <laughs> Seriously. It's helped me jumpstart my better eating diet, so that, that's a real plus for me. Good for you, Carl. Yeah, I think, I think I saw 
Carl coming up the walkway day before yesterday, and I told him, I said, I really think this has kicked off your, your diet because I, I think feel you've like lost, it has. lost a few pounds already for sure. Yeah, I definitely feel a lot better. So, I don't. Oh, my back's killing me. You know, the, <laughs> the, lodging, the lodging isn't, you know, five-star, but it's, I mean, it, with, with all things considered. We've managed. The sacrifices that we make uh, in order to be here. To, to see how beautiful this island is hasn't been too bad. Yeah, I, there are times to me where it feels like a month is probably too long. Yeah. Um, and then there are days where, especially when I'm shooting the Milky Way at night, and I'm like, I could do this every night for the rest of my life. So with the breeze. So back to Virginia with you. Uh, you a little while in Key West, and then back to Virginia. So that's. Uh, That'll be a, a nice change. Hopefully things have changed and we don't have to wear masks uh, for very much longer. Well, that remains to be seen. As long as people continue playing their part, hard in exercising all the precautions, we might see improvements. By but spring, maybe next year, maybe. Fingers crossed that that's the case. Me too. I'd certainly like to be able to go back to going out to dinner and cocktails on Friday nights without having to think too much about it. So you've hung out with uh, you've hung out with Carl and myself, a couple of artists on on Loggerhead Key. Do you have any questions for us? Well, I suppose it's fair to ask when you apply for this. Is and correct me if I'm wrong. You applied for this opportunity twice, correct? Yes, that is correct. And each time you did not get accepted, head for it. The first time we applied, we basically applied with three or four days before the deadline. It wasn't very long. Within the weekend, we just worked as fast as we could to get images of our work together and come up with an idea of what we would do while we were here so that we could uh, put it in writing for the panel that was going to judge us, which is part of the National Parks Arts Foundation. And then the final say, I believe, is the National Park Service. Correct, Correct. Carl. Yeah. So we didn't get it. Um, Beth and Haley got it in 2019. And we were determined to get it the next year so Carl started a podcast which is what you're on now and we started a blog post we just started hitting every Facebook, Instagram. single social media platform and interviewing people that had either been out here uh, as a ranger or as an artist in resident or an artist or people associated with the arts somebody that knew any, anything about residencies we would we would try to contact and get on the show so it's great to have you here on the show because you bring the environmental aspect to what we wanted to talk about while we were here. Simply by having you here, we've learned so much already. We have you in the documentary now. That's right. And uh, that's, that's, that's great. That's what I really wanted besides the, besides the art. Uh, so to answer your question, we applied twice. The second time we got it, uh, we were finalists the first time, which surprised us. Yeah, yeah. And we got it, and we, we found out about a month before we came out here. We didn't have more than about four to six weeks, correct? It was late June, yeah. Yeah, four to six weeks to prepare and come out here. So, yeah, it's it's quite an ordeal, but it, it was all of those things that we did that, that won it for us. The podcast, the blog, the social media, the hashtagging. Everything that I created for about a year, I would hashtag the National Parks Arts Foundation and the National Park Service. The trailer we did for the movie. Yep. We did a little trailer 
that we included in our application submission with photos of our work. And we, we squeezed every possible thing we could into that application. There's a, an, only a certain number of files you're allowed to put in. So we actually did like our resumes and our artist statements and our other stuff jammed into one document each so that we could have more images to send up and more, more material for them to see. Smart play. And in the end, it's paid off. It did pay off. Yeah. So we, we've been able to create here. It's been, you know, hot and sweaty and sometimes uncomfortable days and, you know, things like, I would really like the stove to work better and the gas grill to work better, things yeah. to be a little bit easier. Um, I've learned a lot about making fresh water from salt water and, and how to pull sandburrs out of your feet. That's well, yeah. <laughs> You've had plenty of those. Sandburrs are everywhere. Yeah. And the ants, I think there's an ant for every square centimeter of this island. There's a, there's probably 10 ants. Yeah, I would not be surprised. And if I recall correctly, the day you two arrived, we had to get had you both in the house pretty quick because of a rainstorm. We did. We got pummeled, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It, it only lasted from the point where the boat pulled in until the boat pulled away, and then it stopped. Yeah, just long enough to soak all of our belongings. Yeah. <laughs> Our sheets, our towels, yeah, clothing, everything. Our beds, yeah, the cot tents, everything got a little wet. Yeah. So, if you could go back, like about a year ago, and talk to your past selves about this whole experience, what would be the high of it, and what would be the low? Ooh, that's a good um, question. Okay, so the high for me would absolutely be that the the dark skies, the night skies, live completely up to the hype. Being out there, seeing so many stars, and the Milky Way running from the entire gamut from east to west over your head, it's, it's holy. It it's makes you think about everything. That, that experience, I, I really i am having trouble putting words to it. And to have been able to do something like photograph the Milky Way, the lighthouse, and lightning at the exact same time just was as a photographer just blows my mind. A once in a lifetime opportunity. A once in a say. lifetime opportunity. There's only a handful of people that have been here with cameras to do this kind of stuff and they haven't really focused on night stuff. Over at Garden Key there's a lot of night stuff from campers but you don't see a lot of stuff from here so I kind of feel a little bit like a pioneer, a little trailblazer. I like that. Um, the downside was breaking my toe the week before we came here and showing up here in a boot and being completely useless to Shannon when we got here. That was, that was not fair to him, and uh, we got through it, and I basically haven't used the boot since the day we got here, but that was absolutely my, my low point. All right. What about you, Sean? What's your high and what's your low? My highs, I have a, quite a few highs, actually. So the water here is spectacular, as mm. you can attest to, I'm sure. Oh, but yes, I can. It's so clear. It's incredible. So it's turquoise. It, it's up against sort of the deeper water, which from a distance looks like a mix of pain gray with a little cerulean blue and turquoise mixed in it, maybe a hit of green here and there. But then it, right up next to it is this absolutely stunning turquoise water that turns almost like absolute glass when it's on the sand. That is almost holy to me. It's so magical. Yep, and I've seen you incorporate that level of detail into several of your paintings as you worked here. And that's helped me understand water and light moving through water, which I hadn't painted this kind of water 
per se very often until I got here. So I'm learning something new, which I think is beautiful. It's a new technique. Um, I love the lighthouse. I love the history of the island. The lighthouse being as old as it is, 1858, I believe. Yes, yeah. I believe so. I've nicknamed it Grandpa. It's, it doesn't have any teeth either, so uh, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. It's just kind of this old, decrepit uh, lighthouse that's falling apart, unfortunately. But I've fallen in love with it. It looked very ghostly, I remember, as we approached the island with all of our things, and you were standing on the dock waiting for us to help unload. It looked very ghostly because it's been let go so long. So that, that's a high uh, for me. Um, and then painting what I want to paint and not really painting what I generally paint, which is straight landscapes or straight seascapes. Like I'm incorporating people and objects into the paintings and I haven't had time to really do that and take the chance and see if I like it and I love it. So that's gonna be groundbreaking for my work. A whole new chapter for your work for Absolutely. sure. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I've seen three of your paintings incorporate objects and people into it. Yeah, there's three paintings that have happened on the island that sort of outline what I think the focus for me has been on the island, and it does relate directly to sort of the history of the island. One is the pirate on the sand spit on the south end of the island, and his ship is on the on the reef out there and he's standing there sort of bewildered and then the next one is uh called uh the keeper's lights or keeper's lights and it's uh, a a young woman and and her daughter standing on the beach with a lighthouse behind them in some of the uh, rough uh, scrub area with the bay cedar behind her and and some water so the lights would be of course his wife and daughter and the light that he maintains in order to be the light for everybody and then the modern painting which i finished today which is the the seaplane flying over the spit so it has a plane in it so it's like the modern age for the island nope band title is to be determined later on yeah we're still working on that yeah <laughs> so yeah um i've had a pretty successful time creating on the island and that's a that's a that's a beautiful thing to walk away with seeing your your pieces laid out on the dresser in your room today, all together. It's, it's, it's a really impressive body of work, not only out of pure talent, what you've done with it, but how you've had to fight to make every painting here because it's just, it's, it, it's pioneer living here. It's really, it's, you know, it's every day is hostile. a struggle. Yeah. There's no, no fresh water on the island. There's no electricity coming from Key West. We're making everything that we use here and in order to stay on the island, you have to keep that stuff going. So that takes time every day and takes away from your thought process on the other stuff you're doing. Plus the just the general living here in the heat and the, the sand burrs and the, you know, just the, the hassle of living here is... It's all a challenge on both mind and body. Yeah, it definitely has its, its toll. Um, but I would absolutely say that it's, it's been worth it. Yeah. And it's like, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's a once in a, in a lifetime opportunity. And I was figuring that, you know, between the researchers that come out here, which is two a year, maybe, maybe four max. And then 
the volunteers that come to clean the island up once a year, which there'd be two of those, I imagine, and they'd be here for a month. Yeah, and of course, the National Park Service does do a seasonal cleanup up around the beaches here at Loggerhead Key, but because of a pandemic this year, they had to cancel it, which is unfortunate. So, I mean, that puts literally the people, the amount of people that would spend 30, 30 nights on this island, it puts them at less than 10 a year. Yeah, for sure. And then on top of that, the people that spend two or three nights a week, which would be family members of Park Service employees or, or someone like that, they're only here for two or three nights. It's a rare club. Yeah, it's a rare club. So you figure that over the years, there's not that many people that come to this island that stay for, for long periods. Any, any long period of time. Maybe for a few hours if they bring their boat over, or a half a day. Yep. Well, like, like Clyde Butcher told us, you can't know a place until you've been there 30 days, so we can say we know this place. Yeah, it was funny this morning, you know, I thought I knew the island pretty well. I've, I've hiked it several times now. And then I found that, that guitar buried, that's sort of a monument to a, some musician buried their guitar halfway up in the sand in the middle of the island. Yeah, I, I still can't believe you found that. It's pretty I, crazy. I wonder if that's just flotsam or if it actually was placed there like that. It looks like it was placed there and that somebody has piled shells around it like it's a memorial to someone. Mm. Or maybe they gave up music, they got frustrated with the guitar and they brought it in. <laughs> well, buried Lord it. knows I've done that a few times. <laughs> frustrated musician buries guitar on Loggerhead Key. The fourth member of our podcast is the wind. I've heard it quite a bit, but I don't really care. I think it adds to the character of it. Yeah, the palm fronds. Yeah. The, we're just the swaying palms. People get where we are. We're not making this one at home in my living room. No, we're sitting in a, in a 1928 uh, living room. Keeper's house has had many, many jobs over the years and has something left from every single person that's been here, I think. There are some photo <laughs> albums that... I showed you, Carl, and uh, you, Jacob, that have photos of the island from all the way back to the 1800s. There are a couple of guys on the dock holding coconuts, waiting for a boat to come pick them, pick them up. And eight, it's 1898, and it says the the month and the day, but I can't think of the the exact month and day. But 18 1898, guys were here uh, hanging out. You know, I don't know what they were here for or they came over from Garden Key but just that history is so amazing to me it is and you feel it walking around here you definitely do definitely yep and it's also hard to believe that at one point in time in the 1920s to 1930s I believe that the McCarthy lab was here and they developed the first underwater black and white camera if I'm not mistaken Oh, really? I didn't know that part. Yeah. If you go up to the Northwest, they actually have a little memorial of the McCarthy lab. Was it McCarthy or is it? MacArthur. 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 Yeah, my yeah. bad. That's all right. But, um, yeah, we, we both knew about the, the maritime lab here, but I didn't know about the developing of the underwater camera. That's really kind of cool. Yeah. And then there's some pictures of uh, a hammerhead caught off the beach here, which is about twice the size of you, Carl. It's got to be at least, 
you know, 16 feet long. Sounds like a great hammerhead to me. It's yeah, absolutely uh, stunning picture. Can't imagine. So the fishing is still probably pretty good here. We all snorkeled Little Africa was it yesterday or day before. Day before. Day before yesterday. I found it, Jacob. I found it amazing. I mean, we had a massive hog snapper swim past us, and there were yellowtail and all kinds of the, the varieties of tropicals. It was just stunning. Yep. Then don't forget at those multi-carabizas of those big, and I mean big, spiny lobsters. Oh yes, those spiny lobsters were. They looked like they were from like like prehistoric times mm -hmm. these lobsters were huge if i would have to guess they have to be at least over 10 years old to have attained that size i've seen i've seen them sneak out when i when i snorkel close to shore if i'm out by myself just kind of sneak out from smaller rocks but where you guys were you saw some really big ones and there's conch shells that that we pulled up yesterday massive They're bigger than my head there's massive conch shells maybe my head and a half that would be a fair size estimate yeah Incredible. That's that's the other thing I would add to the the highs of, of the trip is the snorkeling. I mean, 50 feet from your back door, walking out there, just walking from the beach into the water, and there you go, and seeing those sights is really that's that's another flat out amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've not found a shark's tooth on the island, and I've walked the beach almost every day since I've you, been you've here. You've been looking every day you mentioned I've it. I've not found one shark's tooth on this island, and I can't believe it. It's an island. And I've been here since mid-May on, on the past eight rotations, and I've never found one shark's tooth either. So you and me both with the same hope of finding that little, little souvenir that we could take home for ourselves. Yep, and I just never, never found it, but... Uh, it did make me feel better snorkeling that I haven't found any sharks deep yeah, on right? the beach. That's a, that, that's a plus that you haven't found them. Yeah. Well, on that note, you also did find those old, what had to oh, those be. those shackles. Yeah. Yeah, they're all fused together. They look like they came off of a pirate ship, but they could have been here from uh, when the Institute was here. It could have been at the end of the docks, something that they used to, like, lock and tackle things off boats or something. I, I think the Park Service is going to want to take those and figure out what they were and how they apply to here. And um, probably also ask you exactly where you found it because I guarantee you they'll try to get an archaeological team out there if they if can it, get the approval for it. Yeah, if it's pirate pirate stuff. I didn't see, I only saw the back end of the cannon. I didn't see the front. <laughs> <laughs> no cannons. Okay. You know what, uh, has me thinking is Jacob mentioning the uh, the first underwater camera being developed here. Think about even 10 years ago how difficult taking pictures here when you're snorkeling would have been. You know, it would have been a film camera with lights on the sides of it and the pictures wouldn't be great. They wouldn't be terribly sharp and uh, it would be a hassle to do it. We jumped in with three GoPros and we were looking at the footage the other day, even on the back of the GoPro on the display, we could tell we got some really, really good stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, in that way, it's easier. Some of the stuff we brought here um, counterbalances how hard some of the other stuff is. True. I mean, we're not really, I mean, we're off the grid, totally off the grid, but Except for the satellite phone. Except for the satellite phone. Which yeah, so is, 
Yeah, so I hear that other people, off the grid, no internet access. So if you got an addiction to social media, you best kick the bucket. Yeah, you can't come out here with an addiction to social media. Definitely. That's, that's a monkey I have off my back right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, civilization, but this has definitely been eye-opening for me. It's been, it's been fun, and uh, I'm glad you sent me that email two years ago and said, hey, would you think about doing this with me? And we took off from there. Yeah, it takes somebody as crazy as Jacob to come out here and <laughs> spend this much time on the island. I don't know if I could do eight rotations, even 10 days on eight. or four oh, days off. Good yeah. Lord, I couldn't But I don't forget, I also had to do one 15-day rotation, and that's when you two came out at the beginning of September for that. Ah, okay. So you've been here quite a while. Well, that was only the one time I had to do 15 days. Initially, it was supposed to be 17, but Laura interfered with that. Oh, Laura, yes. Laura being the tropical storm. Yeah, Laura the tropical storm, not someone else named Laura. Don't look into it. Which, by the way, we've picked quite a year to, to be here in September in the, the hurricane capital of the world because they're now up to the Greek alphabet and named storms, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and luckily we've avoided them. Knock on wood, we've got 10 days left, or not even 10 days, I think, and... Uh, hey, you only got eight days. Eight days, and... Uh, eight days a week. <laughs> we've had some windy, stormy nights, but nothing nothing we couldn't handle. Yeah, thank goodness. So, all three, knock on wood for that. Again. I don't know if that's wood or mica. Well, that's why I hit here. Oh, okay. Because that's definitely contact paper or something like that. We're, we're talking about the crappy hand-me-down end table that is in the living room. Yes, the decor is sort of um, old, hodgepodge together, right? Hodgepodge is the word I was just gonna say. That's exactly right. Everything here that's living stuff is from somebody's parents' garage. Yeah, and it's all different. Probably different national park rangers different family members and yeah they, uh, we'll just take that out to loggerhead key though we'll use it there there is quite a library of dvds here i mean it's come in handy some nights when we finish dinner and you know it's still only seven o'clock and it's getting dark. rewind carl <laughs> uh, there are vhs's too but uh we've been we've been working our way through after the first i think the week mm -hmm. first week we didn't touch the video player but then now we're kind of in a rotation of if we're done with our work and we're not planning on doing anything else, we gather in the living room and Jacob's now part of the family. He comes over and watches with us. Yeah. I don't have a Blockbuster card anymore, but uh, it definitely <laughs> makes me feel like it's the 90s again. Yeah, it does, right? Just, yeah. just the act of using the DVD player. Mm -hmm. Now that we don't use those anymore. Everything's on iTunes, yeah. Yeah, well, one of the various... Amazon or Amazon, Smart Netflix, TVs. Hulu, Disney Plus, you name it, and I guarantee you almost every movie's been uploaded to the air. So you think we'll be seeing you on a TED Talks, uh, talking about the environment in the next uh, 10 years, 15 years? We'll have to see. Usually the people on TED Talks are pristine public like speakers within their disciplines, so maybe one day you'll see me there. I'd love to see that. Yeah, me too. See, I knew that guy when he was an intern on Logger. <laughs> a young key. whippersnapper. And now he's changing the, changing the world. Speaking of changing the world, 
I would like everyone to think twice before picking up that plastic bottle or jar in the store and seeing if there's another option. It breaks my heart to walk the island every day and find new plastic on the beach. It's, it's very disheartening to see that. Amen. Yeah. Jacob and I talked about that for the movie. Uh, we talked about there's no need for, for disposable uh, plastic bottles, water bottles especially. Right. Absolutely no reason to have all these water bottles everywhere. None one. at all. You carry one reusable bottle and fill up when you get where you're going. Yeah, you know. being out here definitely made that hit home for me, having that we make our own water, and you've been pretty much in charge of that with, with Jacob. But having to fill up my cup over and over again, not having the immediate gratification of a disposable bottle of water made me think, it's not that hard. Yeah. Why do we have all this... The Sargasso Sea has an island of plastic in the middle of it just swirling around. Yeah, and that's that's some of the message that I'd like us to take home with us and try and incorporate into everything that we... When every, every chance we get that we're talking about this, because almost all the folks that interviewed us beforehand were doing back and forth, you know, before and after, so we'll get a chance to talk about what we saw here, and, and bring it that'll forward. be one of the things that we can bring forward, our little piece of environmentalism. Well, Jacob, it's been great having you on the show. Yeah, thank you for, very much for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, we look forward to actually putting this one out there after we get home. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, and see you again next time. Sayonara. Signing off from Loggerhead Key, this is the Flying Tortuga <laughs> Brothers. <laughs>